You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. So just some clarification on what Steve mentioned. In case you don't know, in Columbia, very tragic this week, a 12-year-old girl took her own life. And we can pray comfort on the family. We can can pray in the aftermath of that. We definitely can. And we can pray powerful prayers, and it can be overcome. But I want us to get to the point where we're praying and we're pushing back the darkness, that these things aren't happening. These kind of things are not happening in our society. I'm tired of praying on the back end. I want to be praying on the front end and avert some of this evil. So after that, good morning. Introduction is going to be by way of review. Last week we finished up Acts chapter 19. It was the ministry at Ephesus. Just a very quick summary from that chapter. We were challenged from Acts chapter 19 to believe God for extraordinary things, to believe God for signs, wonders, and miracles. We learned from Acts chapter 19 that mighty moves and supernatural works of God that attend the full proclamation of the gospel, not a watered-down proclamation of the gospel, that attend a full proclamation of the gospel, that brings about revival and transformation in any area, in a region, in our region. From the full proclamation of the gospel that is attended by the signs and wonders and miracles and the power of the name of Jesus and an understanding that the name of Jesus is greater than the power of darkness, that will bring about revival and transformation. Folks will turn from their sin and they'll turn to God. And we won't have 12-year-old suicides and dealing with that grief. That God never intended for that grief. This is a precious life that was prematurely taken from us. There are details to it that we don't need to go into, but I can say that, in my opinion, the enemy was clearly involved in this, and he's always clearly involved in these kind of situations. So today we'll move into Acts chapter 20, and Yvonne, if you'll make your your way forward to the mic. Thank you. Those who already know the drill, you're up. Thank you. Stand up. Wait until everybody's up and paying attention. Stand for the reading of the word, you guys. And it's Acts chapter 20, 12 verses, verses 1 through 12. Yvonne? When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. 
Because the Jews made a plot against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus, <laughs> sorry, and Tropimus uh, from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting, and seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down and threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. And then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. You may be seated. So the title, usually my titles are two or three words. This one's a long title. Something crazy happened at the church service in Troas. A long title, but hopefully the message will be the normal amount of time, same, and a lot of same old, same old, as the last few messages from Acts have been. We've changed chapters, but God hasn't changed the focus. The first six chapters, the first six verses of this chapter, they're basically historical facts and information. It's related to Paul and his companions preparing to depart from Ephesus, move on to the next phase of ministry. If you've noticed, or you should have noticed, Acts is sort of an adventure story, and Luke likes to include many of the details. There are a few things that, that we'll take note to in the details, in the historical facts, in the information. So when the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and he encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and he left for Macedonia. While there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. Then he traveled down to Greece, where he stayed for three months. He was pre preparing to sail back to Syria, but he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life. He decided then to return through Macedonia. When the uproar was over, the uproar, of, curse re of course, refers to the riots and the unrest that we spoke about last week, that huge riot that broke out, the mob violence in Ephesus. When that uproar had finally settled down, Paul sent for the believers and he encouraged them. Paul would not leave Ephesus without making sure that the believers in Ephesus that he was leaving behind were okay. Once assured of that, that they were going to be okay, that they were in good care, that the leadership was ready, then he took his leave. He arrived in Macedonia, which is northern Greece. And now he encouraged the believers there, similar to Ephesus. To encourage means to strengthen, to make strong and, and solid and unshakable, unmovable. Paul was always about strengthening 
We call it discipling. He was always about strengthening the believers and strengthening the church. He never left a church of believers just on their own to fend for themselves if he didn't think they were able. He then traveled down from northern Greece to southern Greece, the Athens-Corinth area. And implied in this text is he did the same thing in southern Greece. He taught and he encouraged and he discipled there for three months. Then again comes the infamous but. He discovered, or some versions say a plot was uncovered. He discovered a plot that had been laid to kill him on the voyage to Syria, on his way back to Jerusalem. So instead of sailing, he retraced his steps north through Macedonia, and he traveled inland down to Syria and then eventually down to Jerusalem instead of by ship. So the plot was foiled. The evil was averted. Verses 4 through 6. Several men were traveling with him, and since Yvonne pronounced them so well for us, I won't have to. <laughs> Just know there were a bunch of men traveling with him. They went on ahead, and they waited for us at Troas. After the Passover ended, we boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia, and five days later we joined them in Troas where we stayed a week. Acts chapter 20, these verses 4 through 6, they simply mention the companions that were traveling with Paul. But there's a couple of interesting things here in the list of companions. Luke includes where many of them were from. And if you take a deeper look at it, they were some of the first early converts, then disciples, now co-laborers, workers with the Apostle Paul. These were folks from the cities on those first and second missionary journeys where he was ministering the gospel. These men got saved. They got discipled. And now they're leaders with Paul. Co-laborers with Paul. That's fruitful ministry. Early converts, now mature leaders. That's the goal. Never the goal to get somebody saved and then be satisfied that now they're going to heaven, which is very important. But we're to make disciples. We're to take folks who just get saved and are very immature in their faith and maybe just immature in general and encourage them and strengthen them and teach them and make mature disciples who will then be effective kingdom workers and future leaders in the church. These flag wavers up here, there's a lot of future leaders in the church right there. Amen. And fruitful ministry. I'm always so proud. There's, you know, there's a prideful thing, and then there's a healthy type of being proud. And I am so proud in our church, 50% of our elder board came to know the Lord, was discipled through the ministry of CCF, and now serves in leadership. That deserves some acknowledgement. When we first started this church back in 95, 96, around that area, we had two options. We were coming out of the Elizabethtown church, church of about 200 at that time. So one option was to bring a bunch of people with us from Elizabethtown and start a ready-made church. And we'd already have a Sunday school and we'd already have maybe a worship band or a choir. And we'd have all those things in place with 50 or 75 people from up in the Elizabethtown area. That was one method. That's a legitimate method of planting churches. But there's another method. 
in my mind, the most effective method, it's the method of the Apostle Paul. It's you go into an area with just a few companions, and you start to preach the gospel and share the gospel and minister people, and they get saved, and they get folded into the church, and they get discipled, and they begin to become the workers in the church. And you keep going like that, and then they become the leaders in the church. And then you go on, and the church begins to grow, and you raise up a DNA from the very beginning, and that's what we did here. And fully 50% of our elders here got saved through this church, discipled through this church, and now are leading this church. And many of you as well got saved, discipled, and you're in ministries. You're either heading a ministry or you're working in ministry in this church. That's fruitful ministry. That's the way God designed it. I believe God is very pleased with this church. Are we perfect? Thank you. But he's very pleased with us. Another thing to note in this text is God's faithfulness to Paul. The last time he was in southern Greece, anybody remember what the situation was when he was down in Athens trying to get to Corinth? Say it again. There was some persecution, but the persecution wasn't the main issue. He had suffered worse before Athens. In Athens, he was alone. And it just about destroyed him. One of his letters to the Corinthians says that by the time he got there, he was a destroyed man. He came there weak and trembling and intimidated. Some commentators think that between Athens and Corinth, we almost lost the Apostle Paul. He was thinking about bailing. He was alone. That's the point I want to make. Again, he was alone. This time in Athens and that area, he has this whole group of guys that are mentioned here with him. This time, God blessed Paul with a strong, solid ministry team. God's faithfulness. And again, I personally thank and praise God for our strong elder board. Uh, the ministry teams we have in this church, the ministry heads, the ministry workers, and we have the privilege of serving God together and advancing the kingdom in our area. One other thing to notice in these verses is the change in Luke's pronouns. Easy to read over. Goes from they in verse 19 to we in verse 20. We boarded ship at Philippi. From the third person reference to the first person reference. Luke had stayed behind in Philippi. He wasn't with Paul during a lot of this stuff in Ephesus. I don't think he was actually in Ephesus. He stayed behind in Philippi and he served in that church. Paul left him there to strengthen and teach and disciple the believers. Now he again joins up with Paul on this new missionary endeavor. So for a while now you'll see Luke write in the first person, we. You're getting a first-hand eyewitness account of what's going on. Well, they finally did reach Troas, T-R-O-A-S, the city. And the focus of our message today, remember the title, Something Crazy Happened in Troas? So we're finally at the place where it's going to happen. And so far, not a whole lot to get excited about in the historical facts and information. It's data. It's details. It's true. But then in typical Luke style, He hits us with an unexpected bombshell, just like he's been doing all along through the book of Acts. He gives details. He gives facts. He gives historical information. And then, bam, if you're really reading and paying attention, he catches your attention. 
Starts out just in a normal way he would start out. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them. And since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Just some commentary and some thoughts. On the first day of the week, this is the first mention that I know of, that I'm aware of, where the believers started gathering on Sunday rather than the Jewish Sabbath, which which was Saturday here in Troas. They gathered to share in the Lord's Supper. So this particular church service included communion, which we just did a few weeks ago. Paul was preaching and he kept talking until midnight. Paul was preaching and he went long. Paul always went long. Bet you're glad I'm your pastor and not Paul, right? Got something in your throat, right? And by the way, he preached to midnight, but it ain't over. He's going to go till dawn. As Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutych. <laughs> Help me out with that, Yvonne. How was that? Eutychus. I like that. Eutychus. Sitting on the windowsill became very drowsy. Finally, he fell asleep, and he dropped three stories to his death below. Young man dropped three stories to his death below. It's estimated he was between 8 and 13 years old. He fell from the third story. Luke includes all these details for a reason, which we're going to get into. He fell from the third story out the window. And by all accounts... The fall killed him. Luke seems very intentional about including this. Luke seems very intentional about letting his readers know the boy fell from a third floor, third story window to the whatever was below. The boy died. He was dead. He fell to his death. That's what Luke said. There's nothing in the language there. You can start looking behind the English into the Greek, and there's nothing in the language to imply that he was only unconscious or that he was only knocked out. Luke is a physician, the beloved physician. Physicians pay attention to details like that. Many commentators believe that Luke may have actually pronounced the boy dead at the scene. Like a coroner. That was his first response. That was his first conclusion when he responded, the boy is dead. He fell to his death. But wait a second. That's not the end of the story because Paul has other ideas about this. Paul went down. He bent over him, the boy. He took him into his arms and he said, don't worry. He's alive. Now, the phrase bent over him is just a little misleading. It's not forceful enough. I'm going to, I'll show you this in a minute. It's true. It means he bent over the boy. Paul bent over the boy. But there's more to it than that. That's the way we translate it in English. But I want to show you something. A good translation of this phrase is also he threw himself onto him. I think that was 
the, the version Yvonne used, he threw himself onto the boy. There's some urgency here. It wasn't, let, let's see how he's doing. There was some urgency. Paul rushed down and he threw himself onto the boy, or better yet, he stretched himself over the boy. The NIV says Paul went down, he threw himself on the young man, and he put his arms around him. My belief is because Paul was imparting life into the boy. And he said, shouted, don't be alarmed, he's still alive. This subtle wording that I'm making a big deal out of could be very significant. And we'll see why in a moment. But to be perfectly fair with you, which I always try to do, I want to be as accurate as possible, there is some debate on this verse. There is some debate around this verse among Bible scholars, whether the boy was dead and Paul brought him back to life, or whether he was only knocked out and he regained consciousness on his own. That does get debated in scholarly circles. What saith you? How many think he was dead and Paul brought him back to life? How many think he was knocked unconscious and Paul said, don't worry, he's not dead, his life's still in him? <laughs> it was unanimous, or else maybe you didn't raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand for the second one. My personal opinion is Paul would not have included it if it wasn't the first way. Paul would not have put in, you know, Scripture's eternal. My word is eternal, says the Lord. This is going to last forever. Paul wouldn't have wrote in here, oh, by the way, there was a meeting at Troas. A guy fell out of, the, out of the third story window, but he was okay, and we went on. No, this is in here because he wants to get our attention that sometimes God does crazy stuff. Beyond our ability to say it could have been anything other than God. There is precedent and there's support in Scripture for the raising of the dead, probably more than most of us realize, because, again, as with so many things that Luke's telling us, we haven't experienced it. We don't, really don't have a frame of reference for it, and so we just sort of skip over it. Yes, it's in there. It's Scripture. We'd say, well, it was true, but we don't really give it much thought. Am I right? Things that we don't have an experience and don't have much of a frame of reference for, we don't give much thought. We don't sit down and say, man, Lord, what, why is that in there? What is it you want us to know from that? Was it just for them and we don't gain anything from it? I have a real hard time buying that. You may have heard this story, a guy named John Wimber. And he was kind of a rowdy guy, but finally got saved and came out of a, that kind of a lifestyle, a partying lifestyle. And, and so he started going to a church. And in the church, they were preaching the word. And in the word, they were talking about all the things that Jesus did and, and uh, all the miracles and signs and wonders and, and all the healing. So he went there for a few weeks. And finally, he went up to one of the elders and he said, hey, you know, I've been coming here for a few weeks. And I'm reading all this stuff. And I'm hearing it preached. And it's exciting. When are we going to do it? And, and the elder said, do what? Do those things. People getting healed, people getting saved, raised from the dead, miracles. You know, I said, oh, we don't do those things today anymore. We just need to know that they were done. True story. John Wimber said, I've had it here. He left. He started his own denomination. You may have heard it. It's called Vineyard Ministries, where God has moved mightily. 
I'm with him at least in the fact that I don't want to hear that it's only in there so we know it was done. It's in there for us today in some way. Just because I haven't experienced it doesn't mean it's not for us today. Maybe we're not experiencing things because we don't believe for them. There's two things that can stop God's will. You've heard me say it last week. By the way, Satan can't stop God's will. Do you understand that? Satan cannot stop God's will. God can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Human free will and unbelief can stop God's will. We can choose against it, and we can choose not to believe it. Then God doesn't move. It's not because he can't. He doesn't. He's based it on his people are choosing to believe him and, and are choosing to act on it. He's been challenge, challenging us like crazy in these days for stuff that's far beyond our ability to believe for in the natural. He needs to release faith. There is precedent in Scripture for the raising of the dead. Go to the Old Testament. And he, Elijah, powerful prophet, Stretched himself out over the child. Isn't that interesting, the wording? Stretched himself out over the child. Three times cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer. The life of the child returned and he revived. Then Elijah gave him to his mother and he said, Look, your son is alive. The setting is there was a very poor widow. She was involved in the ministry with Elijah or of Elijah, and her only son dies. In her grief, she calls for Elijah, the man of God, to come to her aid. And I use this scripture because there's no debate among scholars at all over this scripture. The child was dead. Without question. This is an actual raising from the dead, a mighty act of God on behalf of his people. His love and his mercy and his great power and display, his great power and might on display on, his, on behalf of his people. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He wants to display his love and his mercy, his power and his might in tremendous ways through his people today. Again, notice the wording and the practice of Elijah. He stretched himself out over the boy. And notice the concluding phrase. He simply turns to the widow and says, your son is alive. Very similar to Paul in our text today. Stretched himself over the boy, took him into his arms, then turned to the crowd and said, don't be alarmed, he's alive. The only thing included here that is not included in Acts is Elijah's prayer to the Lord to restore the life and revive the boy. So we can't be certain. It's not in our text today, but I have an opinion. I believe that Paul prayed as passionately as Elijah did for the life of that boy when he stretched himself over him and he pulled him to himself. And he cried out to the Lord to renew and restore that life and revive him. That's my opinion. Especially because Paul could very well have thought it was his fault. That the boy died because he preached so long that the boy fell asleep. Second Kings chapter 4, when Elisha, it's not a typo, it's not the same person, it's a prophet that followed Elijah. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. 
He went in alone and shut the door behind him, and he prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, stretched himself out on the child, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. Now, you could say mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Maybe. I think it's more the impartation of life. Lord, impart life into this child through my body, your life that's in me, into him. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. This is another incident. Not Elijah, but Elisha. And again, the same procedure. Elisha stretched his body out over the dead body, just as Elijah did and as Paul did. Scripture is clear in both of these incidents that the child was dead. Both of these incidents, it's clear. It's without question. There's no debate and there's no discussion, even among Bible scholars. The child was dead, and he was raised from the dead, and he was afterward alive and well. Okay, if you jump over to the New Testament, most of us know about the resurrections that Jesus performed. There was Lazarus, four days or three or four days in the tomb, definitely dead, wrapped. If he hadn't died before he put in, he was now suffocated. So there was no question Lazarus was dead, and Jesus said, come forth, and out he came. There was a centurion's daughter. They knew that she was dead. They laughed at Jesus when he said, she's not dead, she's asleep. They laughed at him because she had been declared dead. And he went in and did whatever he did in there and raised her from the dead and gave her back to her parents. I'll just slip this little thing in here. After hearing this kind of stuff, John 14, 12. Anyone who puts their faith in me will do the same things that I have been doing and even greater than these because I go to my father. What? Why'd they put that in there? Why'd they stick that in there? None of us are going to believe it. (laughs) God has challenged us with John 14, 12. How many times? Over the last couple years, anyone who puts their faith in me will do the same things that I have been doing. Oh, well, wait, that probably means maybe maybe praying. No, there's versions that say we'll do the same mighty works that I am doing. To hear the miracles, the signs, the wonders. We'll look at one more. There was a believer named Tabitha. She became ill and died. The believers had heard that Peter was nearby, so they sent two men to him, come as soon as possible. As he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. Peter knelt and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. He presented her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. A thought just popped into my head. Because there's a similarity between Jesus healing the centurion's daughter. Did you ever wonder why when he got there and all the mourners, they had, they had professional mourners, by the way, in those days. People who came and it was actually fake, but they cried and they screamed and they yelled to try and make the family feel better. So they were there and so was the family and so was anybody else who was close. When he got there, did you notice that, this is Jesus now, he made them all leave. He made them all leave the room where the baby's, where the where the girl's body was. He didn't even let all his disciples go in. He only took three. Why do you think he did that? So there was no unbelief in that room. 
It said Jesus was not able to do many miracles in this one town because of their unbelief. So he had to make sure only people who could believe for this mighty move of God were in that room when he did that. I didn't include the details here, but Peter did the same thing. When he got on the scene, he made most of the church, everyone get out of the room, and he went in the room. And he raised Tabitha from the dead. He must have seen Jesus' example, and he knew there could be no unbelief in the room for this to happen. This time it was, it was Peter that God used to do a mighty work. Clearly dead, Tabitha clearly dead, clearly raised from the dead. Same wording, he then presented her to them alive. And the result of these things, as always, Luke always includes the result. This is Acts, this is Luke. The news spread through the whole town. Many believed in the Lord. God doesn't just do these things randomly, without purpose, aimless. He does it because, we've said before, he gains great glory for his name. And many people turn to him when he's working like this. Many people get saved. And that's what God's all about. Not just doing miracles. It is his nature to do that because he is supernatural. It is his nature to work above and beyond and outside of natural law because he's supernatural. And he delights to do it. He wants to do it more than we want him to do it. Because when he does it, great things are accomplished. His name is glorified, but it's not an egotistical thing. Glorified really simply means like fairly acknowledged. When he does things like this, people have to say, hey, it had to be God. That's what being glorified means. It had to be God. There's no other explanation. Peter, you weren't able to do that. And Paul, you really couldn't do that. Only God can do it. And then they turn to Peter's God and they turn to Paul's God. And that's why he does miracles. And when you do it, not if. When God moves mightily through you like that, they're going to say, well, that had to be God. And they're going to want to know about your God. They're going to want to know about this Jesus. That's the way it works. We didn't design that. God designed that. All right, so hopefully this gives us at least some food for thought off of this passage. That what happened in our text today was actually Paul raised Eutychus from the dead. But just in case you're still struggling to believe that God would ever do something like that, or even especially use us to do something like that, I want to show you another familiar verse for us. Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Jesus sent out the 12 disciples with these instructions. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. What? How how did that get in there? Raise the dead. What? Cure those with leprosy. Cast out demons. These things, these are the... Here's the 12 apostles. You know later on there's 72 more ordinary people like you and me, just ordinary me and you, that he sent out to do the same thing. Not just the high-powered apostles, and not all the apostles were that high-powered. When it really got push came to shove, he chose maybe two or three of them to take with him. 
And he gave them a mission that was so far beyond their ability that it had to be him. It had to be God doing it. Just think about when you, when you even consider that you would do something like that, the first thought is, I, I could never. When the first thought should be, wait a minute, it has nothing to do with me. It's all him. He wants to do it. He gets the glory from it. He gets the benefit because people come to know him. And the next thought should be, wait a minute. When I came to know the Lord, I gave him my life. I exchanged my life for his life. So now his life is inside me. So it has nothing to do with I. It's totally him. Right? That one word, one letter word, I, hinders us so greatly because we think always in terms of I. Yeah, but I couldn't. No, we know you couldn't. And he knows you can't. It's going to be him. I really believe the, the intent of these messages is to build belief in us. So in the mission that he sends out these 12 apostles and later 72 ordinary people, you and me, he includes in there, oh, by the way, raise the dead. Did you know that that was part of the original mission? No, probably not because you probably read over it just like I do. Share the gospel. Oh, we know that. Heal the sick. Oh, we're working on that. Raise the dead. <laughs> Holy cow. Cure those with leprosy. Cast out demons. You know, just another day at the office for believers, right? What would you do today? Healed a couple lepers. Had an unfortunate girl died in the town. We raised her from the dead. Just another day at the office for believers. God is really, really stretching and challenging us in these days. And it seems like there's no let up. Let's go back to Acts chapter 20. After this crazy happened, Paul raises the boy from the dead. They all went back upstairs. Happy troop. Shared in the Lord's Supper. Now they're celebrating communion together. Then they ate together. Communion's the bread and, and the the juice or wine they probably had. And then they ate a meal together, and Paul continued talking to them until dawn. So the meeting went on now till dawn. Then he left. Meanwhile, the young man, and Luke wants to make sure there's no mistake about this, the young man was taken home alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved. Just another church service at Troas until this crazy thing happened. No one expected it. God just did it. It happened during an ordinary church service at Troas. Joe, doesn't that kind of remind you of the Alice's Restaurant Massacre? An ordinary church day at Troas. Yeah, it just happened at an ordinary church service in Troas. God unexpectedly broke out in a mighty way. Signs, wonders, miracles accompanying the preaching of the word, the gospel message, the kingdom work. The name of Jesus was greater than the power of death. Did you hear that? The name of Jesus was greater than the power of death. Disclaimer. My, I'm, I want to give a disclaimer. You know, don't you, that I don't intentionally choose to preach on these passages. I don't go through the Bible and try and find stuff like this and then come up here and talk about it. They're scripture. 
They come up in our series, therefore we have to address them. What I do is when I see it in the series is, is I try and see if I can get off that Sunday. <laughs> have somebody else preach. No, the first thing I do is, okay, there it is. Lord, what do you want to say to our congregation through this? We must address it. And, you know, you're going to have to decide for yourself whether you believe that boy was really dead and raised to life or he was just unconscious and fortunately nothing bad happened and they went on. But we're going to have to do something with this. How do we actually determine some kind of application off of this? Because it's not good enough to just preach the word and not have an application. The word is gaining knowledge. The application is what do you do with that knowledge? Well, we asked the question, what was Luke's intention in including it here? Maybe there'll be some insight there. And we could get very deeply theological here. We could talk about stuff like, Luke wants us to know that Jesus has authority even over death. And we could bring up scriptures that show he has the keys of life and death. And he gained death, life for mankind back from death at the cross. And all of that is true. And we could talk about all that stuff. I'd rather just keep it simple for us today. So let's just say for today, this is going to be the application. When God is on the move, crazy stuff can happen. When God is on the move, crazy stuff is going to happen. We don't know exactly what or when, but we do know when God is on the move, unexpected crazy stuff will happen. We've seen it all through the book of Acts. Raising from the dead during an ordinary communion service at the church in Troas. Troas is not even one of the premier New Testament churches. Man, Troas didn't even make it into the, to the big seven in Revelation. Letters to the churches. Troas wasn't even on there. And yet God used the believers, used Paul at Troas to raise a boy from the dead. Listen, this is what I'm closing with. God is on the move in our world, in our nation. God is on the move here too. This small unknown church in Columbia, Pennsylvania, CCF. Therefore, we can expect some crazy stuff to happen in these days ahead. Some good stuff. Salvations, healings, deliverances, resurrections, signs, wonders, miracles, and so on. Is it actually going to be someone raised from the dead? I don't know. I'm not saying no. Tiffany, will you come pray and the rest of us will stand? Sonny, bring the band up and then Tiffany will wait till, Tiff, you wait till we all get settled and then pray. Oh, while we're, while we're waiting for Tiffany to pray, anybody who's in the Tuesday night training disciples class, I have the outline for the class here. Please see me before you leave so you can have that.
Father, I just want to thank you first and foremost for your word and um, what a blessing it is to be able to openly hear your word. Um, we're across other nations. It would be forbidden. And we're just so blessed to be able to hear your, your word and gain wisdom and understanding from your Holy Spirit. And when we hear messages like this, we can't fathom them with our flesh. Um, so I ask that you would take this message and allow your Holy Spirit that is within us to, um, to receive it, to hear your word and not just be um, hearers of your word, yes. but doers of your word, yes. that this would resonate deep within the core of our being and that you would change us from the inside out, not on our own fleshly desire to make these things happen, but in trusting your Holy Spirit within us to bring about your glory as this change happens, as you deepen faith to believe within us, as you deepen um, obedience to hear your voice saying, go do this, and we obey. And Lord, of course, the desire ultimately is um, for you to be glorified, for people to come to know you and to transform um, lives, families, neighborhoods, communities, So, Father, I ask as we worship that you would just continue this deep work. Your word says you who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. Um, and so we just trust that. And thank you for the opportunity to worship the God who does this deep work within us, who did this deep work in believers thousands of years ago, who brought back to life this boy who fell asleep out a third story window. I just think, as a mom, I think if my kid fell out a three story window, <laughs> the trauma there, even just to be a person who saw it, how people would be affected by seeing that. Lord, you're just so good. And there's so much, there's just so much in that one passage of who you are. But I just ask that as we worship you, that you would deepen our understanding, deepen our um, spirit's reception of this word, and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.